well, some of my friends uh, got this harebrained idea that there was a problem with WhatsApp. And they should not use WhatsApp because it had all these bad things on it. And uh, I kind of missed hearing from my friends on WhatsApp and their, their statuses and whatever. So one day I put on my statuses to all my friends who've left. I really miss hearing from you. But I hope you feel better knowing that you're not being spied on or whatever. Sad part was they couldn't hear that because they weren't on WhatsApp anymore. So there's not quite as many people here tonight. I'm kind of sorry, but I guess they're not here to hear that. So that's, uh, they'll miss out on that. I think the message this evening is uh, one I'm excited about, and I think it's uh, it's it's a good one. Not because I'm preaching it, because it, but it's because there's good truths here. So greetings in Jesus' name tonight, who has made and is continuing to make us perfect, who saved a thief on the cross who had no chance to repent or make restitution in any way, He saved a murderer on the way to Damascus, sent him off for a few years to learn some lessons in life. He chose a rash, impulsive, blasphemous fisherman to be a disciple, and three years later said, you know what, I'm going to use you to build my church. And he's the one that called me when I was 11 years old, and then he had to keep working and prodding and working and prodding and working and prodding until I was about 23 before I finally really got a hold of what I should have. Um, and I'm not saying I still have it, that I have it, but I'm just saying that was, a, that was a turning point for me. So tonight I would like to look at the word, the subject of sanctification. And I, I had the guts tonight, I was actually going to do this, and then I forgot, so maybe you can be glad I forgot. Um, there's two ways to look at sanctification, and I always threaten to do this. I always want to bring a toilet plunger up here and ask you if this is sanctified. Well, is it or not? What does what does the word sanctify mean? There are many vessels made, some to honor and some to dishonor. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, one of the words, one of the definitions of to sanctify or to be sanctified is to be set apart for a particular purpose. Okay, and it is sanctified for that purpose. That is what it is set apart for, that and that only. It is also, though, it is, and and that has a spiritual meaning to it, to be set apart. We are set apart. It's also the process of cleaning us up. And um, the word here in 1 Corinthians from the text we've been using means to be a purifier. It's, It's making us set apart or making us useful. Um, so as we look at, at the verse there in, in 1 Corinthians, wisdom is my, which we looked at Thursday night, wisdom is my changed way of thinking. Righteousness, which we looked at last night, is my changed actions. Tonight we're going to look at sanctification, which is the process of changing me. And then tomorrow is redemption. Why I'm changed or um, the act of being changed or however you want to look at that. There's a couple things I want to define this evening, and the first thing I want to define is is the high standard of God's holiness. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. 
Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain did he, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Some people look at this passage and will say that Isaiah was a, was a man with a dirty mouth. He was a profane person. Um, and he recognizes here when he was in the Lord's presence. My inclination is that Isaiah was probably a godly man. And when he came into the Lord's presence, all of a sudden he said, woe is me. Like this is like, I thought I was okay, but woe is me. This is a great God. And he realized how sinful he was. And God's standard, what God requires of us is perfection. 100% Holy living, perfection. That is God's standard that He holds us to. If you were to compare, if you were to compare, uh, Ellis here to a murderer, and on a scale of one to ten, and we'll say the murderer is of one, and Ellis is a ten, okay? We have a, he's way better than the murderer. So on a scale of one to ten, you know where God is? He's like ten thousand, okay? That's mathematically a wrong equation. But as good as, as good as I can be, the best I can be, the best I will ever attain to, and I hope that when you get to your deathbed, you've been growing all your life and you're way more mature than I am now. I mean, I hope it's a growing process. But no matter how far you get, you'll always be closer to the guy at the bottom than the guy at the top. Okay? You're always going to be closer to the man down here who's sinful than you will be to God. We as people, can never measure up. We will never, ever measure up to what God's requirement is. So we looked the other night at Sermon on the Mount, and one of the things Jesus said there that we mentioned was that if you have have lustful thoughts, you're guilty of adultery. So how many of us had lustful thoughts go through our head today? Now maybe we were tempted and did not yield the temptation, but... That can be a temptation. We can fail in that. James says we are not to have respect of persons. So did you look down on anybody today? Or just like, eh, yeah, well, that's him there. You know, he's, he's in the, uh, did you do that today? That, that would be a sin. We're not to respect, have respect of persons. God said you should have no other gods before me. So anything ever come between you and God? Your, your phone, your, I don't know, I haven't seen any great and mighty trucks out here in the yard, but I know some people have fancy trucks. First year we came to Bible school, there was this truck sitting in the yard, and my children were like, who in the world has a truck like that? Dennis would know who it is if he was here. Um, I mean, it had eight-inch stacks coming out of the back. I mean, it was, they were free, by the way. He, that's what, it was good stewardship on his part. They were, they were free. It didn't cost him anything. Uh, but it was like, this this guy has a problem. Um, I hope he doesn't hear this tonight. Uh, 
my uh, that's a problem with recording these things. I think he's I think he's in a much better place now. But he he was in my stewardship class, and so I, one of the questions was, if you had five hundred dollars, what would you do with it? Like, what's an indication? What would you know? And most everyone said, well, I would give you know ten percent in the missions, or some maybe a little bit more. You know, they all kind of gave a token that way, you know. And and he said I would do, and he bought he named the model number of the whatever turbocharger he wanted for his truck. I mean, he had the model number and everything. I would buy this. That's exactly that. I was like, hmm, that tells me a little something where his heart is. What a, he's probably no different than a lot of the rest of us. We probably have some of the same things. So, you just fail. God's standard is perfect, and you fail. Um, it's unattainable. The Christian life is always learning, it's always climbing, and never reaching the truth. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, but we continue to do that every day. We never ever get there. He's always pointing out new things. And I would I would say we have, some of us are at a higher plane than others. <laughs> um, and just just some are. Some are, have grown more than others. Uh, my sister worked for a ungodly couple um, took care of their special needs son and uh, one day her boss said you know she said so us Lutheran well she's all of us are Christians all of us are Christians said and some of us are down here and then the Mennonites she's they're like up here somewhere okay uh, well I wasn't quite sure that I would well I, I knew I wasn't going to call her a Christian and you know what we may be up here from them. <laughs> But compared to God, we're still, we still haven't attained, okay? Well, like we're not closer to God because of our actions. We still need to remember the holiness of God. So that's the first definition tonight. Second thing I'd like to define is justification. We looked at this the other night, and, or last night we mentioned justification is, is being made right. It's being regarded and treated as innocent and holy. Being regarded and treated as innocent and holy. So when I look at someone, I see them as a as a holy person. Brother Joel, he gets used as an example all the time. Uh, he's a good brother from our church. He's been there for 25, 30 years maybe. And uh, he can uh, he can articulate doctrines a whole lot, just as good as anyone else in the church. He's a, he's a good brother. Um, his wife is not a member. Otherwise, um, I think there would be some some uh, leadership material there. But uh, anyhow, but Brother Joel, his uh, they they had to get married. I guess is what they did back in the day, and uh, so they got married. And what do you know? A few months later, they start having marriage problems. Um, probably, if you start a marriage under those circumstances. Uh, you're ungodly, it, you're going to have marriage problems. And so uh, they decided that if they would get their daughter baptized, that would probably take care of their problems. Then they would be, that would save, that would take care of their problems. So they went to see the, the Lutheran preacher, and he was a free Lutheran man. And uh, the free Lutherans believe in, in being born again. And uh, so he says, well, what you really need is you really need to become a Christian. You really need to be born again. And here's a tract that explains it. And by the way, I will baptize your baby. And so he baptized Heather. And uh, Joel goes home and he reads his tract. And he says, wow, he says, that's a good deal. I think I'm going to do that. So Joel gave his heart to the Lord. 
Now, I would, I would, I call Joel a Minnesota redneck, okay? I mean, he's just like a northern Minnesota. He was a 25-year-old beer drinking. I mean, he's no worse than anyone else. He's just a Minnesota, northern Minnesota redneck. I mean, just a normal run-of-the-mill guy. And uh, so they started going to church. And one day they're sitting in the bar, him and his wife, and he says, you know, he says, and she became a Christian too at the time. He's sitting there and he says, you know, I said, this is really dark in here. Like, I don't know if this is where we belong. Like, maybe maybe we shouldn't go to the bar. So they quit going to the bar. And one day they're sitting in the restaurant on a Sunday after church. And after, you know, the, you rush out of church, you get to the restaurant before the other people from church get to the restaurant type of deal, you know. And they're sitting there and he's looking around at all these other Christians in the restaurant. And he told his wife, he said, why are they in here on a Sunday? Like, they shouldn't be in here on a Sunday. Oh, he says, well, maybe we shouldn't be either. So he quit going out to eat on Sunday. And he closed down his strawberry patch on Sunday. And his dad, who's an atheist, said, you can't do that. I mean, people come on Sunday. Well, guess what? Since they were closed down on Sunday, they had really good picking on Monday and had the best day they ever had. And everyone likes to come on Monday because they have a good day of picking on Monday. And so, so that worked out well for him. Um... And he still, he still would drink occasionally. He didn't have a problem with that. And finally, he decided he needed to give up on that. And uh, the neighbors were actually trying to convince him that you can still be a Christian and have an occasional beer. Like, that's fine. And so he was playing ball, softball one day, and uh, he was pitching, and it was a hot day, and uh, they came out and set a beer right on the pitcher's mound. And uh, so he decided, you know what? And then I don't have, I have no idea what a beer tastes like, but he said, yeah, it was, it was pretty tempting. It was hot and it was cold <laughs> and uh, yeah, it looked good. But he said, you know what? He decided he wasn't going to play ball anymore if that's the way the, the atmosphere was going to be. And then after a while, he started attending our church after this had all transpired. He started attending our church, attended our church for several years. And uh, after about five years, I believe he became a member. So my question is, when did Joel become a Christian? Did he become a Christian when he started coming to our church? When he stopped drinking beer? When he quit going to the restaurant on Sunday? Or when he quit going to the bar? Or when did Joel become a Christian? One of my students at Bible school said, when he stopped doing bad things. Um, no. I think Joel became a Christian when he read that tract and said, well, this is a good deal. I, I want to I do this. Now, Joel had a long ways to go. Don't we all? But Joel had a long ways to go. And, but I think Joel could have been out playing ball while he was drinking his beer and get hit, hit in the head with a ball and he would have died and went to heaven. I think he would have. Because he was... That's, that's the definition of justification. He was not a Christian because he was perfect. He was a Christian because he had given his life to the Lord and he was justified. And God looks upon him as innocent. However, God also sanctifies us. And God purifies us. And he cleans those things out. Um... So I'd like you to envision your, your heart tonight. And if your heart was, uh, if you had a, a heart here, and I'm not going to 
can't fill it all in here, but imagine this, this your heart is all filled in, okay? Your heart is, is black with, with sin, okay? And now you, you, um, that, that is who you are. You have a sinful heart. That's who all of us are as, as unbelievers. Um, it's, it's filthy. And furthermore, I think that if you would tell a lie, or if you murdered someone, or if you committed adultery, or you you name the sins, would you be any more sinful than you were before? I don't think it would make your heart any blacker. If the heart's black, and you put some black X's in it, I think it's still black, and I don't think it, it's, it's black. <laughs> there, maybe you've committed more sins, but I don't think you're more sinful than you were before. And so when you become a Christian, now your heart is, is cleaned up, and I need a little better eraser, more elbow grease or something there. Now our heart is, is cleaned up, and now we have a, a white heart after we're justified. Okay? We're seen as innocent and holy by, by the Father. Um, 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 beginning in verse 5. This then is a message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. It cleanseth us from all sin. Now that cleanseth means present continual action. <laughs> he is continually washing us and cleaning us. That is justification. That is instant right standing with God. So when Joel prays the sinner's prayer, he is his heart is clean. When the when the thief on the cross commits his heart to the Lord, he's he's just as saved as any any dear old saint that's been serving the Lord for a long time. You know, I, I don't know that the thief even had a chance to make restitution. He just said, Lord, remember me when you come into thy kingdom, and, and that's the way he died. And that's also what happens to you and I. We're, we're the same way. We, we are also far from perfect. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look at this a little deeper tomorrow, but Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God." Not of works, lest any man should boast. So you go back to verse 5. When we were dead in sins, he quickened us. That is, that is to be made alive. That's when our heart was washed and taken from black to white. 
This is justification. This is God now views us as, as holy, as his child. And, and we are accepted in the beloved. So, so God has a high standard of holiness. We looked at that first. It's, it's beyond what we can ever, ever reach. However, we can be justified as children of God. And we can be seen as innocent and holy. So, that's the background for tonight. So, justification. So, we have been, or sanctification, we've been made perfect by justification. Um, now, let me ask you a question. How many of you became then perfect the day that you were saved? You may want to raise your hand and say you think you were, or thought you were, or maybe you thought you were, but... So, how many of you, was anybody perfect the day they were saved? Okay, no one, no one will take that, okay? Um, so do you believe in the eradication of the sin nature? Like, is our sin nature just taken away when we're saved? No? Um, so are any of you perfect now? So who's the, I don't know who's the oldest one here, maybe I shouldn't ask that. Who's the most saintly one here? <laughs> I won't ask that either. Are you perfect now? Ellis, are you perfect? No. Okay. But now just a minute. We said God's standard is perfection, right? So how are you going to get into heaven if you are not perfect? Because that is God's standard. And we just said that's his standard. And now we're just saying that none of us are perfect. We all sin. My, G my GPS doesn't really know which direction is going around here. Oh, it's got my directions right, but the speed goes from, it says it's 55, and then it says it's 60, and so I think, well, I think it's just going 60, and then it says it's 55. And you know, technically, if you break the law, and you go 55 and a half miles an hour, you just broke the law, okay? And Paul says we're supposed to obey the law. So, how do, how do we get to heaven if we still sin? I thought we were looked on as innocent. But we're not, we just admit we're not innocent. So if we, if we come back to our heart now, I think that sometimes then we have, well, I won't say sometimes. So instead of having a black heart to start with, now we have a clean heart, and now we have, we have sins in our heart. Okay? Now, you should not have this many sins in your heart that you're aware of. We will talk, we will talk about that, okay? But we now have a white heart. But there are still flaws in it. There are still things in it which we do not have, we have not perfected. And so, sanctification then, the act of purifying, is then the, the process of cleaning up these sins. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is sanctification, cleaning up these things that are in our life. After we have become a Christian, after we're justified. That's what this process is. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be worried and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and gave them, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, but, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, so because we are being corrected and, and that's good. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the, knee, and the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So I was, I was looking at this passage here in verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness. So I'm thinking holiness is holy living. So the first year I taught separation nonconformity, I had a minister come up to me and said, well you need to talk to so and so, he named another minister, because this verse right here, he says, is, this is what our whole doc, this is what all of our doctrine hangs on. Christianity hangs on this verse right here. It says, follow peace with all men, that's non-resistance, and holiness, that's separation, nonconformity, and you do those two things, and that's, that's where we hang our hat. I said, huh, that wasn't exactly what I was thinking. Um, there are two principles there. But this holiness here is not separation, is not holy living as we look at that. This holiness here is the same word, it's, it's sanctification, it's a purifier. So follow peace with all men and purification, this cleaning up of yourselves. And if you don't keep cleaning up yourselves, you're not going to get to see the Father. This isn't saying that we have life all figured out here. This is saying that we need to keep working on it, keep cleaning us up. Paul is saying, let God sanctify you. Let Him purify us. So growing in the Lord, taking care of problems in our life is an absolutely normal Christian thing to do. You, you know, if, if you can, like I, w- I wouldn't say I repent every day. You know, like, oh, I just really blew that today, Lord. I'm sorry I did that. I'm notice, uh, There's things I do that are imperfect, but that, to say that I intentionally like do something I shouldn't do every day, that, I would be quite discouraged by that. But in reality, we're not perfect. And, and we do things and we mess up. And sometimes we say things that never, never cross, like I, I, we just never see the black side of something we say or something. You know, like I, I told, I had a, uh, a boy one time from our church told me this joke. And it was just this funny little joke. And so I repeated it to one of my friends. And he's like, Tony. I was like, well, I, and then all of a sudden I saw the, the other side of it, you know. And I just told a bunch of preachers. Uh, and I felt about this high, you know. 
Uh, but I mean, the guy, the guy told me it was just an innocent little joke, you know. And also, oh, that was terrible. Um, we mess up. We're not perfect. We have we we make mistakes, and so, but we shouldn't be like shocked at that. Like we're human, and we make mistakes, and we're going to keep making mistakes, and so we should not be discouraged because we are not perfect. We should be discouraged. It says here that that Christ, that God chastens us, like He comes and corrects us, and He teaches these things. And if He didn't do that, then we wouldn't be a son. Like He's trying to perfect us all the time. So my guys that work with me, you know, I don't try to go around and beat them over the head every day and say, "Well, you're not doing this and right. You're not doing that right. You're not doing that right." But every once in a while, I'll say, "Oh, by the way, uh, do you see that detail there? We should maybe after this, we should change that and do it a little different way. Okay, we could improve that." Um, but, I, but it's because I'm, I'm cons- I want a good product at the end. Okay, I'm not just trying to be mean to them. If I, I don't go to my competition and tell them, hey, you should change the way you do that. I'm like, you know what? That's their business. That's the way they do it. But my business, my guys, I would like it to do this way here. That's what Paul is saying here. God wants, God does that. It's ongoing purifying. So, so back to my, my fisherman friends from the other night. We are justified by grace. That's how we're justified, by faith. But then we also need to be chastened. We need to be purified. We need to be cleaned up. That is part of the Christian life. And I would say that was one of my biggest stumbling blocks as a young person. When I was your guys' age right here, I would, I would, uh, I had plenty of things it seemed like before I was a Christian that I had to go apologize for. And, um, and several things after I, Except for the Lord too, as it's eleven year old. But you know, I, I would have this thing come up. It's like, oh, I need to, I need to go apologize for that. You know, I told my mom a lie when I was in first grade. You know, and I, oh, that, oh, I need it. Oh, I can't tell her that. That would, and I think I was like probably fifth or sixth grade before I finally could go and I think I wrote a little note. You know, because I was too embarrassed. You know, it's like, oh, I can't do that. You no. Know? Finally, it was so heavy on you. And, and the other thing is, if you're not living in victory, then you don't want to, then you don't live in victory. Like if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, then you just well, why bother with this over here? And so finally, I would do it, and I'd make it right. And, oh, it felt so good. I was floating on a cloud. It was great. And then after about two weeks, God says, "Oh yeah, what about this thing over here?" Oh no, I can't do that. And and it just seemed. I told my dad one time, "Well, I never ever get over like I'm always have to apologize for this stuff I've done," and, and just. And it drug me down. But that's what sanctification is. It's that cleaning up. Um, we was talking this morning about memories from when we first moved here. And uh, some things that I did. And I, and I said, and you know what? I had to write a letter to my school teacher years later and apologize for something. I have no clue where she is. But I, somehow at the time I had found her address. I guess she got it. Um, but I had to apologize. I, God was saying, huh, you got a problem here. And oh, now I got rid of that one. And I'm like, oh, that feels really good, you know. And then after a while it comes up, oh, by the way, you didn't know there was one here, but there's one there too. And we got, we got to clean that up. Are you being sanctified? Are you being made holy? Are you being made perfect? So we have been made holy by justification, and we are being made holy by sanctification. Okay? We have been made holy in the sight of God, and we are being made holy. It continues on. Someone was telling me the other day that they, they feel that 
um, we've been influenced too much by the evangelicals and that we can know that we're saved. And, and he says, and we are, our, our salvation is not complete until we get to heaven. He had some references for that. I was like, well, okay. Um, so I go home and ask my dad, I said, so is that what we believe? Like, is that our theology? I, and he says, no, that's not what we believe. My dad, he, he's got that black and white. He's got that all figured out. Um, he says, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Okay? And so I think, and I think that's right. We are saved, we have a clean heart. Okay? We've been justified. We are being saved, and we're being sanctified, and someday we will get to heaven, and that will be completed, and we will be saved. It's an ongoing process that we, that we, uh, work through. So how does that process work? Uh, go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and verse 5. So this is David here speaking. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the draught of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. So, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man, verse 2, unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Now, we said last night that to impute something is to write it down to their account. So, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord does not write this down to his account. We see that the result there of, of sin, of guilt, verse 3 and 4. If you've ever been guilty, you know exactly what that is. Um, and then I acknowledge my sin and my iniquity have I not hid, and I confess it, and thou forgavest me. That's just wonderful. Now, so let's put this in, in, um, let's just put this in story form here, okay? So we'll pick on Warren tonight. So Warren's a Christian. He's been justified. He's, um, his heart has been washed. And we'll even go so far as to say that Warren's been sanctified completely too, okay? We'll give him that, we'll give him that there. Bill too, that he's, he's, he's pure and white, he's through and through, he's, he's a good guy, okay? And, um, so he goes home tonight, and when he pulls in the driveway, there's this really, really, really big buck in his yard. And just on impulse, he pulls a rifle off the top of the door, bam! Ha! Got that one! And as soon as he does it, oh, I, did I just do that? Did you ever do something like that? You do it, and then you're like, I didn't just do that, did I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just did. Uh, uh, now, now i got to take care of that. And now, so did, did, did Warren sin? He's admitting he is. The rest of you don't want to quite say he did, but he, he's got it. Yeah, he sinned. He broke the law. Furthermore, he intentionally did it. Did it. He like he just like grabbed that gun on purpose and did it. Is he lost? So he's so shocked he has a heart attack and falls over dead. <laughs> the story's getting wilder all the time, isn't it? <laughs> so is he lost? 
Someone says no. So verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So was there guile in Warren? We just said Warren's a godly man. He's doing everything he's supposed to be doing. We would say he was, he would, he was not have guile in his life. It was kind of an impulse thing. He was like, oh, boom. It's like, oh, and as soon as it happens, he's, he's guilty. He knows he's guilty. Now, the holiness of God looks at that and said, and then this might be a little hypothetical here, okay, but just kind of follow me through here. So God the Father looks at that and says, he's finished. He has sinned. He did that on purpose. I cannot have that in my child. He is, he is cut off. He's done. And the son says, oh, hang on, Father. I'm his advocate here. He has put his trust in my blood. And I, I don't think he, like, that's not really his heart. And, and I think if we convict him, if we send the Spirit over there to convict him, I think he will repent. So they send the Spirit over, over to him, and he, yeah, he, he knows, he's, yeah. And he, and, oh, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. That, that was, that was terrible, and he repents. And I don't think that ever gets written down to his account. That is not imputed to him. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Iniquity is sin, okay? But the Lord doesn't write it down as sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, because I acknowledge my sin and my iniquity have in my head. I confess my transgressions and thou forgivest me. So I don't, I don't believe like that's that sanctification at work, and I don't believe he was lost. Okay, so that our our Calvinist friends, once saved, always saved. If you go to strict Arminianism, then every time you sin, you're lost. And so, so I I'm uh, walking down the street and I see someone and I I have an impure thought and I'm lost. And then I repent and then I'm saved. And then I'm telling. Jocelyn, the story, and I exaggerate, and I'm lost. And then I remember, and then I repent, and then I'm saved. And we're just in and out, in and out all day. Okay, that's, that's strict Armenianism. And that's not correct either. Oh, we say, we always have it figured out where we are. We always think we're in the middle of the road, and we got it figured out about right. But I think we're, we're in between there. We're, we're neither one of those. But there is security in the believer. Um, and, and I just, and I just think that that's, so refreshing. Um, so God's holiness is high. We cannot attain. And we're going to mess up. And we're going to do things that as soon as we do them, we... Oh, I never... Oh, why did I do that? Um, I'm going to tell you a story. I don't even know if my family, all my children know. Um, I was coming home one night. John Menard's dad had died. And we went down to the viewing in Minneapolis. Bunch of us men took a van load down. And I'm coming home about 1.30 in the morning, and I come around the corner about a half mile from home, and here is a critter in the road. And what do you do if there's a critter in the road? I never, okay, it's a small critter, okay? It was, it was about giving. It wasn't a big gear. It wasn't going to damage my vehicle. What do you do? Meow, clump, five points. Yeah, I got that one. And as soon as I went, clump, got... Oh. I think that might have been a wolf. I'm not sure. And you really aren't supposed to do that with wolves, are you? <laughs> and I looked at it. I actually went back and looked at it. Hmm. I think, you know, I don't know. 
I never said boo to nobody about it. And it just lay there and nobody said there's a dead wolf there and I didn't admit there's a dead wolf there. You know, and that, and that just kind of, just kind of worked on me for uh, quite a while. Finally, I asked the guys in church, I said, so what do you think? Is that, like, do I need to say anything about that? Well, they didn't know. Well, I kept working on me, kept working on me. Finally, one day I called the game board. Darren, this is what I did. Well, he says, if you ever do something like that, you know, if it's, if it's a coyote or a wolf or whatever it is, um, you're just supposed to notify us and let us be, you know, so in the future, whatever, you know, that was the end of it. But as soon as I did it, <laughs> I knew, oops, that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, and we do those things. We, do, we make mistakes. We do those things. However, um, but then we repent, and and I, I don't think we're lo- we've lost our salvation in that experience, okay? Like, that's, that's not, we do not lose our salvation in, in that. However, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Sometime, at some point in time, if you... Warren shoots this deer and he's like, you know what? My reputation's at stake. I, I'm a preacher and my neighbors respect me and I can't admit that I ever did that and I may tell nobody and God works on him and works on him and he's like, I will not do it. Sometime, there's going to come a point when God says, okay, if you're not going to listen, then you you will be removed from my family. Sometime that happens and I don't know when that happens and I don't want to know when that happens. Like, I don't want to say, well, I think I can get away with this. No, I, no, I don't want to go there. But sometimes that happens. And God is long-suffering. But he's also just and holy. And there comes a time when, when we need to, when he needs to do that. And so, so when God comes to us and points these things out, then it is, then he's being merciful with us and, and chastening us, and then we need to fix that. And, and then we go on. And, and there will always be, there will always be things in your life to clean up. Okay, you should not know that there are things in your life to clean up. Like you should have taken care of everything that you know. But there's always going to be things. Like you're, you're never going to reach perfection. We already talked about that. Like there's always things that, like I think, I think uh, God is very gracious with us. And he, like, so when I first became a Christian, if He would have just come and like given me thirty pages, here's all the things you need to repent of, you know, and take care of. Well, I would just like, oh, never mind that. But he didn't. Oh, here's one. Oh, I can take care of that. Well, maybe it takes me a while, but... And then, oh, here's the next one. Oh, okay, and then I take care of that. No, then here's the next one. And I think God keeps doing that until we're 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 years old. Here, here's something else you could work on. Oh, Lord, I never saw that before. Merle Burkholder tells the story. So he walked onto a plane one time, and here was a, a very well-decorated... Uh, soldier with his uniform and all of his medals and he was he was a somebody and he was sitting there in the airplane with a very well worn bible a well studied bible and he was reading his bible and Merle said how can a man who has studied the word of God and you could see he's a student of the bible you can tell that he's, he's Work. He's read and read and read. He's how can a man that has studied the Bible like that not know that what he's doing is wrong? As a soldier, like you can't do that. And then Merle says, "So what? 
is in the Bible that I haven't seen yet. I think we all have those things in our lives. Because we're never going to... God's at 10,000 times, so I'm way down here, and you know, I think i got to figure it out. You know, I You should be able to say that there's nothing in... I mean, we should be able to sit here tonight and say, I have a clear conscience, and I have nothing between me and God. We should all be able to do that. If not, we better take care of it. But there might be something that God will bring to your attention tomorrow. <laughs> and I, what was, I thought I had this all figured out. And the guy's, oh, you got, here's something else you got to do. I told Dwight last night, I said, uh, when I was a student at Bible school, now I told this somewhere else, and a former Maranatha staff was there, and he went home and got his old yearbooks, and he figured out who I was talking about. He comes back the next night, and says, oh, I figured, I think I know who you were talking about. I said, well, that's not the point. But when I was a student at Bible school, uh, we had, what I did not know at the time, was we were in a, re- there was a rebellious era at Bible school. And they, they had lots of problems. And staff just said, we can't put out fires quick enough, we're just quitting. Um, and that's when they brought in the whole the whole uh, application thing, and Dennis goes through that and kind of weeds out the bad apples. And, and Maranatha is not the only place that did that. Heritage did that as well. They they actually cut their... When they started doing that, Heritage, uh, their attendance dropped in half. And then they've gradually built back up. It's a better place than it was. So it was in that era. And we had um, one of the leaders, one of the persons of authority at Bible school um, was new. I'd never done it before. And the students took advantage of it. There were some that were probably rebels. But by the time it was all done, even the good guys good guys, <laughs> were piling in. And uh, we made life very miserable for this person. And he wasn't perfect. And I I went home and I didn't have any consequences, but I know there was other people who were put on probation during that time. And uh, in fact, I told, I told one of the board members, I said, you know what, I said, the difference between him and I is that I just didn't say what I thought, and he was, and he just said what he thought, and that's why he's on probation and we're not, because everybody was all felt the same way. Okay. Um, anyhow, I had no respect for this for this person, and uh, I was quite certain he had no respect for me. I, I mean, it was pretty much mutual. <laughs> I didn't respect him; he didn't respect me. And uh, about twenty years later, twenty-five years later. I got a call from him, and he asked me if I would come have meetings at his church. And I didn't tell this to him in person, but I just said to myself, you have got to be kidding. Like, <laughs> I, I just almost wanted to laugh. I was like, "That guy, you, I can't believe he's calling me. Like, this is the dumbest, like, really? Like, I'm, sure, I'll go, I'll go preach, but I, I, I mean, I, it was just, it was ridiculous. Like, why would this person call me? So I'm getting ready for that, and all of a sudden God said, you need to apologize for what you did 25 years ago. And you know what? In those 25 years, it never dawned on me once that I should go make that right. Like, it never crossed my mind. Now, call me dense, call me whatever you want. But it never crossed my mind in 25 years that I need to apologize to this brother. And so we're on the phone 
one night getting ready for meetings and making arrangements, and I just said, you know what, brother, I, I got to apologize for that. Oh, you're forgiven. That's that's fine. And uh, I actually used the illustration at his church when I was there. And uh, but you know what? We were so blessed. Our children enjoyed that person so much. Um, we, he's still a friend today. He takes great delight in our girls, and he comes to our. We, we use him different times in our church. Uh, we invite him in, and uh, but see, I, that's why I said there's things in. I think there's things in your life too that, you, that are there, and you're, you don't even. You, God just hasn't pointed out to you yet. And someday, twenty five years later, God will say, "Oh, but now's the time. Here you go. You can something else for you to work on." So, so let me just interject this here now. So, how many of you have ever wondered, so am I really a Christian? Like, what if there's something in my life that I don't know about? How many of you have ever struggled with that? And if you haven't raised your hand, you probably need to repent for not being truthful, okay? Uh, my children, I don't know if all my children came to me with that question. A lot of them did. I'm at Bible school. People come with that question. How do I know if I'm really saved or not? Okay, so I have three points that I that I always point out, and my first question is: Have you been born again? Have you given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? And you know, some people maybe don't have a specific time. They say, "Well, I think I did it." Then, well, if you don't have a specific time, then just you could just do it again right now. Okay, just say, "Okay, you know, Lord, I don't know if I did, I, but I just want to make sure I'm committed to you." Okay, however that may be. Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Is there anything in your life that you know about that you need to take care of? You know, so my children come and say, so I'll say, so did you, have you accepted the Lord? Well, yeah, yeah, I did that, yeah, I remember that. Um, so is there anything in your life that that you need to take care of? Has God been pointing anything out? No, not that I know of. Um, so are you having your Bible reading and praying? And, yeah, yeah. Everything, you're doing everything you know to do? Yeah. But you just don't feel... No, I just, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I, okay? God doesn't come and make us feel guilty unless he has something to point out. He's, a God is a God of specifics. Satan just comes and makes us feel bad. He just says, you're, you know, Dwight, you're just a dirty, rotten sinner, and, and you're just, you're just a failure, you know? And it's like, I don't, I don't know, I'm serving the Lord. I'm, I, I'm, as far as everything I know is right, and I, but I just feel bad. Well, that's the devil. God comes and says, you know, Dwight, you wrote a check for one cent too little yesterday, and you need to go make that right. God's specific. And here's what you do, here's how you fix it. Satan just gives generalities. And so, and and the, the thing that is, the thing, okay, so the other thing is, so I am not saved because I've taken care of all these things in my life, Okay? My salvation does not hinge on taking care of all these things. My salvation hinges on the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses my heart from sins and sanctifies me. And as long as I have nothing in my life that I know of, and as long as I'm serving the Lord, and as, as long as I have a clear conscience, I'm saved. And I'm not saved because I have, I have it perfect. I'm not going to die and get to heaven and say, God says, oops, I forgot to tell you about that thing over there, and that was a blot, and you're, you're done. No, I don't think God's going to tell us that. He, God wants us in heaven worse than we want to be in heaven, I think. And he's going to do all of, all he can to get us there. And he's going to send his spirit and point out these things in our lives. 
And when I get to my deathbed, there might be a few things left that he hasn't had time to get to yet. But when I when I die, I've said if, if I knew I had five minutes to die, I don't know that I would sit and think about, oh, is there anything I need to repent of? I think I would just get on my knees and say, Lord, I am an unclean, undone man, and I need your blood to cleanse me from my sin, and and I'm just committing my life to you. And if there's things to do, I should be doing them. But I don't think that's the time we say, oh, is there something I need, one thing that I missed? I, I think it's the blood of Jesus Christ that justifies us. But then we need to be sanctified too. That needs to be part of that equation. Second Corinthians chapter 6, in closing tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath the righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Like, why, why do we want these sins in our lives? Like, why, do, why would we do that? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, because because of that, wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. <laughs> we're going to cleanse ourselves and perfect ourselves. We're, we're, we're improving. We have these promises, so let's keep cleansing ourselves. Let's keep purifying ourselves. Keep perfecting ourselves. You know, by definition, a Christian is changing from glory to glory. He keeps He keeps improving. Are you? Are you being perfected? Are you um, allowing yourself to be cleansed? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for justification and thank you for sanctification. And Lord, we desire tonight to be sanctified. We desire tonight, Lord, to cleanse ourselves, or allow you to cleanse us, to be purified, and to become more like you each day. Thank you for your spirit that is faithful in pointing those things out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.